Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want more bonus material and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash la vie creative. And also don't forget to check out Amazon where you can pick up my new book, Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. In the book, I talk about my creative adventures in Paris, from starting my business to being homeless, hello, starving artist, (laughs) to how I met all these wonderful creative people. Don't forget to check it out on Amazon. And also thank you so much once more for listening and for your support. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. Today we are talking about Marie Bracamont. And I had no idea who this woman was before Claudine sent me the information about her. All I really know is that she was a French Impressionist artist and she was kind of hanging out with the likes of Bert and Mary Cassatt. <laughs> but Claudine can tell you a lot more and I'm going to let her take it from here. Yeah, uh, Bert, as in, it's not Bert and Ernie. (laughs) (laughs) I still want to do Bert and Ernie. It makes me laugh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Marie Bracamart, she was born in uh, France on December 1st, 1840, and she was a Impressionist painter. And when you think of the Impressionist women painters, everybody thinks of Bert Bert Morisot and Mary Cassatt. And a journalist later said that they were the basically the three, you know, these were the three biggest um, female impressionist painters. There wasn't a lot of them, as we know, and they were kind of the big ones. But Marie herself is very, you know, just like you said, you didn't know who she was. She's her name is is basically left off everything unless you're looking up the other ladies. Who did she piss off? Well, she just, she wasn't raised, um, she was raised in um, Brittany, and unlike um, Morisot and Cassatt, she didn't come from a man, a family with a lot of money. Mm, so, yeah, they were rich already. You know, they had a lot of money behind them. Her her father was a sea captain who um, had died when she was very little, and her mother remarried um, pretty quickly, and was, she, was, she moved the family all over France and Switzerland, and so... Oh, wow. She, when Marie um, was little, she really like instantly loved to create and paint and stuff. And so they didn't have a lot of money. So she would actually make her own colors from flowers. That's crazy. I want to learn how to do that. That sounds so fun. I know. Doesn't that sound really cool? So she would actually make her own paint and she painted her very first painting of her mother and her sister as a gift to give to her. And so that was kind of like her first big thing she ever did. But with no money and no family connections, it was really difficult for her 
to really, you know, get past even that stage. She had a hard time finding a teacher. She had a hard time, you know, getting supplies, everything. She ended up taking some lessons um, from an artist named Auguste Vassar. And he was a, he was pretty old and um, he basically restored paintings. And so he kind of had this little business of, you know, teaching these young ladies that wanted to paint because at that point it wasn't like I'm teaching, I'm, you know, teaching the next Picasso, like, these young ladies, it's just kind of the thing you wanted to do in your spare time as a little hobby. You know, it wasn't yeah, really, it was kind of like embroidery or something. Yeah, it wasn't really going to go any place for a lot of these people. So um, in 1857, she actually submitted the painting she did of her mother and her sister to the salon in Paris, and it was accepted. Oh, wow, that's huge. And she was like, she learned from this guy, but kind of just for fun, and it just grew from there. Yeah, and she was only 17 years old. Wow, she was a child. Yeah, so it um, at the salon, it got the int- attention of Angre, the great French painter, and he saw her saw her painting and invited her to come to his atelier. And while he was there, while she was there, um, she he would you know try to he was teaching her how to paint and some of the fundamentals. But because she was a woman, he really didn't think um, Angre never really thought that it was really going anywhere for women to be painters. So the assignments that he would give them was to paint things like flowers and fruit and, you know, mm-hmm. and girly things, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Uh, he wasn't painting like Jesus on a cross. Or no, like, he wasn't saying, Hey, come over here and help me paint the, you know, his one of his mm-hmm. famous paintings, obelisk. It's no, they weren't doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Philippe Bertie, who was an art critic and knew Angre had come to the studio one day and said that she was one of the, one of the most, most brilliant pupils he had ever seen. I mean, that's a huge compliment. Huge compliment. So, but she got really, she was getting really frustrated working in his studio because he just didn't really take it seriously. And she just wanted to grow more than just painting, you know, still life of of flowers. So she actually left his studio, which is interesting, you know, because, you know, she wanted to do this more than anything. And she's in one of the greatest painters, but she was like, nope, I don't think I want to be here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was pretty brave of her to walk away from like this famous guy. It is. I mean, good for her. Uh, but at the time, uh, it was Napole- It was uh, during the reign of Napoleon III, and Empress Eugenie saw her paintings and commissioned her to paint a few for her, which is a huge, you know, huge thing for her. She definitely had that very um, soft, you know, the, the very feminine way of painting in a way that it was just very soft images, you know, as impressionism. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're all kind of really soft and pretty. Um, the director of the French Museum asked her to make copies of paintings in the Louvre when he had seen what she had done for, for Empress Eugenie. And they would make these paintings, you know, in the Louvre so that other museums could have copies. Oh, wow. Of the famous paintings, you know, and I think we've talked about the copyists in the Louvre quite a few times. It's coming up, come up a lot in some of these ladies. Um, but it was a really great way to kind of spread the art throughout France and Europe. Yeah, so these ladies were copying the work and then they were putting it in other museums. Yeah, but you know, it's I don't I don't think they're really usually like I know that there's a lot of paintings I've seen that are copyists copies, but they don't really say who copied it. So mm. it's still you know it's still very much of an unknown. Um, you know, you're you're not all of a sudden going to have you know Monet bite 
rock them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They wouldn't actually even name the copyists, right? No, yeah. A lot of times it still was kind of pretty um, forgotten. I mean, they would say it was like, a lot of times uh, you'll find on in things that will say d'après, meaning, you know, after. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll say like d'après engrais, which means kind of like that basically was copied. But hmm. that's about it. I wonder if the original artists, if they were still living, were ever like offended, like a woman painted my painting or something like that. Some of them probably were, but I mean, so many of them at that time, I mean, Manet, um, Fantin Latour, like so many of them did the same thing. You know, they went into the Louvre to, you know, that's kind of how a lot of these painters kind of taught themselves was going into the Louvre and and copying these masters. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I think if you're doing it and then you're, it's getting shipped all over Europe with your name on it, it'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. And did yeah. they ever get paid to do this stuff? Well, yeah, they would get, I mean, definitely they would pay them a little, but it, especially as a woman, it probably wasn't very much. Yeah. yeah. But when she was there as a copyist in the Louvre, she met um, another artist named Felix Bracamont. And Felix was a French painter and an engraver, and he also painted porcelain. And they met and got married uh, in 1869 on, on August 5th. And, oh, yeah, well, and that's, a, you know, a lot of the times that's, you know, we that's also come up with a lot, you know, Bert, you know, that's when she met Manet. And the Louvre is because women couldn't go to the cafes. They couldn't go and just sit down and be like, I'm just going to go hang out with Degas and Manet and have coffee. You, you, you weren't allowed to do that. So a lot of them, that was kind of their social way of meeting other artists and other people and, and you know, men at times <laughs> was in the Louvre. Yeah. yeah, that was like, I love that the Louvre was like a disco tech yeah. <laughs> how do I meet the boys yeah. <laughs> it's still like that too except I've had uh, uh, more than a few uh, security guards come up to me and start chatting me <laughs> so if you're hanging around there too long and too frequently you definitely get some attention even yeah. today so whatever was like I've been watching you for the last 20 minutes in this room I'm like, not creepy at all <laughs> <laughs> be like dude it's fine just give me the keys to the place we can I know. Go have a yeah. drink yeah. Yeah, no problem. I did parlay that into getting into the Louvre all by myself one day. So it's yeah, like, it's kind of, it's I there's a lot of the Louvre that is not accessible to the general public, yeah. which is why you should date the security exactly. guard. Exactly. <laughs> Do it for the history. It's a big secret. Big secret. Exactly. Um, but uh, Felix himself, he was a painter and he he uh, engraver, but he did more engraving than he did painting. He was actually teaching at the time Corot Car- and Manet and Degas. And Pizarro, how to engrave. And this was their way of like, you know, copying their, basically copying their paintings, engraving them, and then they could make them into books, you know, and const- and make, you know, multiple copies that would help spread the word of their paintings. And so Felix, when they had the very for- first um, Impressionist exhibition, he was a part of it, showing all of these things, because he was, he was friends with these people. Well, that, de- that definitely changed at first he appreciated it and he was a part of it and he appreciated her talent of what she did but then he he decided that he just hated anything to do with the impressionists Mm. and he taught her how to engrave and he taught her how to paint porcelain and you know which was a you know a lot of the a lot of the artists also did that you know they'd find work painting these teeny tiny you know scenes and flowers and stuff on plates so he was teaching her how to do that um, he was one of the very first people to adopt and bring the um, 
the art of Japan into France too, which was a huge thing with the Impressionists. Claude Monet. I was going to say, that was really popular. Yeah. I mean, they love, the Impressionists love that because of the use of the vivid colors and, you know, just the, the Japanese prints and, and all of those things. They love that stuff. So he at first, you know, was really a part of the Impressionists and he liked it. And then he decided he didn't like that. So um, after a year after they were married, they ended up having a son named Pierre. And he um, was she was staying, you know, with him all the time. And she was with Felix all the time as well. And she was, you know, painting porcelain and probably listening to him grumble all day about the Impressionists. Yeah. <laughs> and he at this at the same time. Um, he was also friends with a lot of other people too, like Gauguin and all these other people. So she, you know, she was with him and she'd be painting and or etching and doing the porcelain. And then she was, you know, she, he would tell her like, you know, don't waste your time on these paintings. It's kind of ridiculous. He thought the whole thing about going outside and painting en plein air was really dumb. And what, you know, why he just didn't like anything about the whole thing. He was not supportive. He was not supportive at all. And he just constantly criticized her. And he, he was actually, he was pretty awful to tell you the truth. And so she, you know, kind of moved away from working um, with him and started to, started to focus more on her painting, which of course didn't make him very happy. And one night uh, Gauguin came over to their house for dinner and she was talking to him and, and would tell, you know, and he, he actually told her like, this is how you prepare your canvas. So you could get these deeper colors and, you know, do this. And he was giving her all these great tips. Well, Felix, of course, didn't like that. And when Felix, um, when people would come to the house, he would actually hide her paintings. So oh, he was terrible. Yeah. He's pretty horrible. So he would hide her paintings and nobody could see him. He wouldn't share anything. He wouldn't even talk about the fact that she was a painter. Like he just, basically like pretended it didn't exist. Maybe he was jealous. Yeah. I Well, yeah, I think he definitely was. So she, you know, she was close with Manet and the Sicilies and she, mm-hmm. she actually painted portraits of, of Manet and the Sicilies and, and some of their family. And, um, you know, he still, you know, he just basically went from this period of like being friends with all these people to basically just come, you know, completely shutting them out of his life, just disagreeing with everything. So she started to do even larger canvases and she was painting outside and, and um, he was just against all of it. And so she would actually like leave to go out to go visit friends that lived out in the country farther so she could paint and get away from him. But she was also wanting to always be there to help take care of her son because like it like was just the tension was very thick in their house. I was going to say, it sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, it wasn't good. So, you know, he was hiding things, uh, hiding her paintings and, and, um, you know, that message has been horrible. I mean, here you are a painter and you're painting these beautiful things and your husband is just hiding it and pretending like, you know, that you don't even do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she married him because he was kind of enthusiast in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, her painting was great. I mean, if it was a painting that you and I did be like, great. Yeah. Let's hide those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be the same. I mean, she was definitely like a prodigy. Definitely, definitely a prodigy. So, um, but as, as, as she, her fame was kind of rising and she was becoming more well-known, he definitely hated it, hated it even more. So she finally, you know, she fought, she fought with him all the time and, and she, you know, was trying to raise Pierre. And so she was actually would spend her time teaching him how to paint 
do kind of, you know, I think probably to soothe, you know, soothe the tension a little bit. Um, but their entire marriage was basically just filled with drama. And her son later in a book wrote about how it was, how dramatic it was and how it just, you know, it wasn't a very good way to be, you know, to be brought up. But in 1890, she decided she couldn't take it anymore from him. And she just stopped painting altogether. Wait, she gave up her dreams because her husband was a douche? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, he really fought her tooth and nail on doing what she wanted. Yeah, so she was, you know, later when she's, you know, she's always considered part of this um, Les, Trois, Les Trois Grands Gourmands, Grand Dames. I always get it mixed up with Julie. <laughs> Les Trois Grands Dames and, you know, with with Mary Cassatt and Bert Morisot, but she's, you know, for the most part, very, you know, unknown. I mean, I don't even think... I think there's maybe one painting in the Orsay that's by her, but you know, there's not that many paintings when um, Felix died on October 29th, 1914. And so she finally got a little bit of like quiet, you know, <laughs> relief that he was, yeah. he was gone. And so she, and she lived two more years. Um, but then she died in 1916 on January 17th. So she only got two more years of like any kind of alone time. And like back then you couldn't get divorced, obviously. Yeah, she didn't have no. any money. So basically she had to give up her joy in life because her husband was a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Because he was a giant jerk. And, you know, she, she actually, um, she actually destroyed a lot of her paintings, um, mm. which, you know, I you could kind of see where you would want to do that, where if you're constantly yeah. getting criticized about it. Um, but she's, you know, over time, she's always been included in many of the exhibitions about women artists, but most of her paintings are um, the, the few that do remain are mostly in private or just in private um, collections. Um, yeah. I think, I think the Orsay maybe has one, um, but that's about it. And I'll put a picture up on the website, but in 2018, they did a women's in Paris, um, painting exhibition there was also a book written and so she's of course included in that wow that's so sad I mean imagine what could have been done I'm curious like what other paintings she created that we'll never see that maybe got destroyed I mean I wonder how often this happened to women who didn't even get as far as her that were prodigies yeah. but no one got to see their work yeah I mean like you like when you know we talked about Victorine and how, you know, later they basically, you know, the paintings they found of hers that were in the attic, they just burned them in a bonfire. Mm, yeah. And only yeah. a few of hers remain. I mean, but Marie, so, I mean, because she was actually, you know, married to Manet's brother. I think that's probably, and also Mary Cassette, also because these women came from families that had more money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the only way to really do anything and not even as much, obviously, but something is because your family was rich. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, said that um, she was quoted as saying impressionism has produced not only a new, but a very useful way of looking at things. It is as though all at once a window opens and the sun and air enter your house in torrents. Oh, that's beautiful. Which is so pretty. And then you think of this jerk at home. <laughs> you know, like, how did she write something so angelic when she was like burning in the house with this jerk guy there? Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that there's like, like you said, I'm sure that there's a ton of stories of women that like this from that time because they didn't get to have a voice and they didn't get to really stand up for themselves in a lot of ways. And I'm sure that there's, you know, even more artists that we, you know, were probably lost to time that we will mm -hmm. never really know. Yeah. World War One, World War Two, like just so many things disappeared, got rearranged, people died. Like, it's just crazy. 
Yeah, but just to, to destroy your own stuff. I mean, that's so sad. That's very sad, especially when it's something that you love so much. But he must have drove her nuts. Yeah, and he uh, he bathed, nobody really. Um, it wasn't like one of those things where on the outside, everybody thought he was so wonderful and great. And then behind closed doors, like most people didn't, most people kind of thought he was a, a raging jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it was a unanimous. <laughs> it was a unanimous decision. But yeah, her son um, wrote um, a book later that was more uh, like a, a pamphlet, I guess you would call. It wasn't really a full book. Uh, that wasn't real. I think it was just like published between, you know, for friends and things like that. And it had basically, you know, he basically was saying how difficult it was growing up and being around his father and how his mother, you know, she, she tried to shield him from it. And she taught him how to paint and ta taught him about art. Um, but how very sad and um, just their drama filled that their lives were. Mm hmm. Well, I'm curious to know, I guess we'll never know how many more women had the same story that we never even heard of. But yeah. thank you for bringing some light to Maddie for us. Yes, one of the now now there's the, all three of them. So we, we uh, Barrett, Mary Cassatt and now Marie. Love it. Thank you, Claudine. And tune in next Monday, guys, for another French lady creative in history. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.